if a lack of natural movement, a lack of healthy, varied, frequent, variable, adaptable, practical movement is the reason why you are dealing with physical and functional ailments, then restoring that healthy natural movement behavior might be the most potent change you can introduce to your lifestyle to fix most of those issues. You're listening to Muscle Medicine, where we debunk the myths in the health and wellness world to bring you the latest updates in exercise, rehab, and nutrition from industry leaders. Join your host, Dr. Emily Kybert, chiropractor and movement expert, as she brings you simple, actionable tips to reach your fullest potential. Erwan Lecour, I am so excited to sit down with you today and talk about movement and breathing, and you come from such an interesting perspective in that world. So welcome to Muscle Medicine Podcast. Thank you, Emily. I'm likewise excited about this convo. I have my tea ready and uh, (laughs) great ways to start the day. Yeah. So I'm in New York. You're on the West Coast of Mexico. That's right. (laughs) Close to Puerto Varta, but in Puerto Varta right now. Nice. Uh, I was telling you it's hard because I had to commute on a boat, 50 minutes boat, no traffic jam, just a perfect ride along the the coast and the watching whales. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard. So you're the founder of MoveNet and you're coming out with a new book, The Practice of Natural Movement. And Mm -hmm. so I think you're approach to movement and the lens at which you look at movement is really interesting and really unique. So can you kind of tell us how you founded this movement practice? So movement is the practice for what I've been calling natural movement. It's been over a decade that I've been really delineating this concept based on 12 principles and making it really popular now to the point where it's really on the verge of becoming mainstream been really educating people about that idea of natural movement for all that time. So because originally when I presented my work, which again is uh, it's based on the practice of those skills that are evolutionary and natural to us, so we're talking about running and jumping and climbing, crawling, balancing, all these locomotive and manipulative skills. But when I would say it's natural movement, you know, let's, let's use a simple term. And people would ask me, well, is that yoga? Is that Tai Chi? So clearly that idea of natural movement was not that evident, not, not that simple. So I had to, to explain this. And, and then I had to read really de- always deeper in it and to provide a rationale for, for this to really make sense. What is natural movement? Can we just say movement or can we say something else? No, natural movement, that's what it is. So that's how I came up with this, but also with the idea of really providing a system that's really effective for this practice because it's been, strangely, it's been missing from today's society for way, way too long. And I'm here on a mission to not just revive this and not just to intriguing people, to re- but to really establishing a new paradigm, including of or in the fitness industry that would be healthier for people. Yeah. So there's, there's an evolutionary 
principle, right, in your manifesto. So just moving like how our species were meant to move in nature, almost kind of like for like how we did when we were younger, but then also taking that to like really bringing it back to environmental nature components. Yeah, exactly. If you were to ask yourself, how should a a wild tiger or any wild animal for that matter, how should they become fit and stay fit? And that would be hilarious to think that we should plunk them into one of our modern gyms and have them sit on some kind of exercise machine where we're going to try to isolate their muscles and dissociate upper body from lower body. And then on top of that, we'll have them on an elliptical for cardio and then we will also have them do some mobility drills or something like that and you know that compartmentalized view of their body applied to wild animals would make no sense whatsoever and i have a simple question why is it that it should make sense for us as a species as well why is it that it it's normal or even desirable or even relevant and effective to compartmentalize our physical behaviors in order to be in shape. To me, it's not the simplest or the most relevant or the most effective route where when, especially when we know that from a young age, we have those amazing movement abilities that come to us instinctively why should we ever depart from that joy and from that simplicity, which, you know, you look at kids doing they jump and they hang and they climb and they balance and they crawl and they throw things and they do all these movements by instinct. And what my method provides is not just to say and tell people, just get in the woods and go have fun and whatever, do what's there. You know, you'll find all the, You'll find all the solutions. It's not that simple, but how can we become highly skilled in those movements, highly competent if we apply some principles, learn techniques, and commit to consistent practice that's also very mindful? Yeah. So if no one has, ex- like, if the listeners haven't experienced MoveNet yet, how would you give them a visual of what, like, the practice looks like? Imagine yourself rehearsing given movements like a get up you're going to do say a get up you're from standing you're going to get down to the ground a few times in a row practicing mindfully maybe transitioning from doing a get up with the help of your hands support from your arms and sometimes not and then you're going to go on a crawl on, on all fours and then you're going to stand and you're going to step on a two by four and do a balancing movement there, maybe two or three variations of balancing. And then you're going to maybe grab a bar where you can hang from and do some hanging variations there. And then you'll step down and you'll lift and maybe carry a relatively light load if you're not really trained. Everything is scalable. What I'm trying to provide here, it's a a great question from you, by the way, Emily, is trying to have people visualize how this practice would look like and feel like. So you would understand right away the nature and usefulness of those movements, of each movement that you would do simply because they are practical in a very obvious way, in a very tangible way. 
everybody needs to get up and get down to the ground. You may have to balance on a surface that's narrow or unstable. You may have to maybe hang or climb to safety. You may have to lift and carry a, a load, some, an equipment, maybe a child, an infant to help them, to protect them. Instead of doing drills that feel like chores, where you're like, oh, what is, what are the muscles trying here? What, what muscles is this good for? Which is a very indirect approach to, to movement. You're like, okay, this is indirectly, this is directly good for, for those muscles, but it's a very indirect in the sense of practicality. So it's hard for the brain to make it click because you have to force yourself to do something that your mind rationally understands, but that your psyche instinctively is wondering, what is this about? You know, it's like, again, it's like, imagine you're a wild tiger and you're asked to do a drill because it's good for your upper body. And the tiger would be like, excuse me, but the way I get fit, stay fit, is because I do all the tasks, the movement, stuff that I'm supposed to do as a tiger living in my tiger environment. So when you do move net training and move net practice, you it's the same. You you do all those movements that are just natural to us as a species that we remember as kids we were doing, except that you do it with more methodically, with more attention to how you move, how you breathe, how you stand, your positions. It's mindfulness applied to being not only effective, but also to being as efficient as you can. And that practicality and the fact that you also have to adapt your movements to some simplified environmental variables, like two by four represent a fallen tree across a river, for instance, makes your psyche and your mind click together because that's what we're supposed to do. And your brain unconsciously acknowledges that reality that used to be there in our lives. And that's gone now from our modern lifestyles. So there's like a subconscious kind of awakening. Yes. Of like, oh, this is what our body is meant to do, that instinctual movements. Right. And th- this is some of the um, benefits that you find in yoga as well, except that not to take in any way any value away from the practice of yoga. But in yoga, you may have to hold pauses that are a little awkward to say the least, that you may not do instinctively. You have to be taught exactly how to do them and the way you place your foot and your leg and whatnot. It's not based on a technique. It's more based on a tradition or, you know, it's, if you ask why is that position like that and who created it, it's clearly somebody created it some like a long time ago. <laughs> but it doesn't come to you by instinct. Whereas jumping and climbing and balancing comes to all of us universally as a species, regardless of personal aspects of our identity, doesn't matter age or gender or background of any kind, the color of your skin, uh, the culture you're from, how much money you you make, whatever, all those are irrelevant. Natural movement, that's what belongs to all of us. And you actually don't need to be taught natural movement. What you 
may be taught or may want to learn is to be highly efficient in the way you practice and in the way you perform. So nobody starts from scratch. It's yeah. there instinctively. And what we do is to turn that primary instinctual nature into highly mastered skills. We become really skillful. So uh, I'll give you an example. Anybody can say jump. You can do a jump, but maybe you won't jump very far. Maybe you will feel heavy when you land or unstable when you, when you land. And you see, that's the instinctual part, that you can do it. That's the order. Just jump. You jump. Boom. You do it. Much less complicated than knowing a, a particular pose that's like a yoga pose, for instance. Yeah. But what we, you will learn is, okay, now you see it doesn't feel stable. It doesn't feel control. It doesn't feel accurate. Where you land is not the right place. How you land is not stable. It means if you were to land on a rock, you could be falling off. And how can you make your technique more efficient? It's a little like a martial art of natural movement. It is actually. Yeah. I love that there's a universal component of it, like any age, any gender, any ethnicity. So when you have worked with people right? Because it, the knowledge is innate. It's in there, in the brain. But let's say they've been sitting at a desk for 20 years. You ask that person to get on the ground and then get back off, like they're going to probably uh, struggle because they haven't, you know, been doing that movement. So like, where do you start with them to start to create that efficiency in their movement? Well, that's where a method is needed because if we were to just tell people, hey, just go in the, in the woods and climb a tree or uh, just explore, just keep exploring and play and you'll be free forever. Yeah, it's, that's a, a romantic idea, but the truth is that it doesn't work that way because if it did, then millions of people would be at it as we speak and that's not the case at all so we do need more than just just go play and have fun and explore it's not no that's not the way it works we've never observed that we could observe actually people like you said after decades of somewhat self-neglect and i don't want to you know be hard on people but in the sense of their physical needs and behaviors movement behaviors self-neglect just dismissing that they need movement and being physically idle or being overly specialized in the way they practice some kind of physical effort like okay well i'm not physical idle i run yeah you run that's great that's awesome it's better than just sitting on on a, on a chair or couch every uh, all day however you never squat, you never kneel, you never hang, you never climb, you never balance, you never crawl, you never do all these movements. So it's highly specialized nonetheless. And the problem with that is that there are lots of deficiencies, lots of functions that you're going to lose. So progression and diversity, that's the key. If you haven't been physically active for too long, you need scalability, you need progress, progressiveness and progressions, you need guidance, you need to know where to look at because you might do some movements and that's going to be great, but you could be educated, you, can, you know, could learn to do movements a certain, a certain way that instantly improves improve movement and unlocks some of your movement potential. Yeah, through the, through the method, is there like a certain place you would start most people ground like you like you said the ground yeah yeah the like ground feet on the ground or starting like literally on the ground 
<laughs> well, the thing, is, the thing is that feet on the ground is what everybody does every day, right? Yeah. We, we stand up and we walk and otherwise we sit, but we sit on a chair. We sit on elevated surfaces. We don't sit on ground level surfaces and that's a huge, huge difference. So when you have to get down to the ground to a sit position, that's where a lot of people get challenged and challenged beyond the, even their like they're so shocked sometimes. Just sometimes to realize that, oh my God, I can't actually hold a deep squat any longer. And I thought I was still able to do that. I know I can't. And sitting is not even comfortable on the ground, sitting on the floor, ground level. It's not even comfortable anymore. Oh, and then kneeling. When is the last time that I actually spent a few minutes just in a kneel position or a deep squat position? All that function does fade away slowly but surely over the course of years when they are not part of your daily physical behavior. And that's the big surprise for a lot of people. Starting your practice with those ground movements will help you acknowledge those functional issues and see exactly where, where your deficiencies and inefficiencies are. And it's a great start before you even engage in more challenging movements such as jumps and running or even climbing movements and you know more explosive more dynamic more uh, higher intensity movements yeah i love the part of the approach is really looking at movement through all three planes of motion right because i think a lot of approaches and not that it's a bad thing is just like whether it's like looking at a movement practice or posture as like getting stacked or alignment or really kind of only looking at movement in a like one plane of motion. And I love that MoveNat is like this kind of like triplanar on the feet, on the ground, on the floor of movement, just really accessing all of our different potential mm-hmm. and really our capacity. It's, it just, it's, it comes naturally. I mean, obviously natural movement is designed for living in a three-dimensional world and to operate our bodies in in a three-dimensional world. And there's a reason why we have mobility even is not supposed to work in a a single plane or stability. The reason why we can assume such a huge number of positions, and I'm talking again about, I'm not talking about fancy positions that are to some extent artificial like i'm sorry like in yoga people are pushed into positions that are somewhat artificial you can say oh but no the downward dog is so natural yeah well that's maybe about about it because otherwise the rest of the other movements or they are not actual movements by the way they're positions we're talking about movement here and movement is a dynamic transition between positions And they have to be adaptable. That's the thing, adaptable. So there's not one perfect way to be in one perfect position. And then you have to know 20 perfect positions or even 50 perfect positions. The truth is that there are thousands of positions with different angles, different combinations of different joint positions. And the reason for that is adaptability to complex environments. When you are in nature, when you start simply standing 
and walking on uneven, ter uneven terrains that go up and down and on rocks. Some are stable, some are unstable, some are angled in completely different positions and some are slippery and whatnot. And your brain has to anticipate every step. It has to be extremely skilled at basically predicting the future of exactly where you're going to place each body part so that you remain stable and safe and you can predict where you're going to be, how you're going to get there. Okay, so that's the reason why our bodies are so adaptable. So to shrink it to some very specific positions is it's again it's a shrinkage of our potential and then it prevents us from b being fully adaptable and i want to finish on that idea if you're not fully adaptable then you're not fully functional period why do you think people injure themselves kind of going on this idea of adaptability like if you talk to kind of maybe a more allopathic doctor they'd be like well they strained a muscle or uh you know they sprained something but it's really so much more than that, right? Kind of going back to this idea of like maybe a lack of adaptability caused injury. But I would love to hear like what, why do you think people injure themselves? So first off, health is uh, such a multidimensional reality that even uh, if you say, well, I sprained my ankle because I misstepped. Well, yeah, but maybe another person who would be functionally healthy would have done exactly the same movement and not sprain their ankle uh, or even twisted it a bit but without actually injuring themselves because their tissues have more pliability so it's not just technique it's also your physiological health and which has to do with how much what are your stress levels and how much sleep you get and are your are you hormonally balanced and whatnot there are so many aspects physiologically speaking but movement practice, daily movement practice, that's our nature. That's what we're supposed to, that's a healthy, a normal physical behavior. And when you have that, you will ensure much greater health of all of your tissues. And that is in itself the reason why some people injure themselves, whereas others don't, So, or, or are much less likely to be injured. And then there's also, of course, how your central nervous system is able to make you move because it's been training itself to operate your body in the most effective and efficient ways. And when you do that, it's very much likely that you will, you will not injure yourself as easily. You know, we have a lot of, a great number of people who are trained by us, who are certified by us, we call them the MCTs, MoveNet Certified Trainers, that are health practitioners, healthcare practitioners that are uh, physiotherapists, chiropractors, so many of them. And here's the reason. They don't want to be just people who give you a therapy session, when, but then they're helpless at changing people's behaviors that are the very cause of all these functional issues and health issues, right? So if a lack of movement, a lack of frequency and diversity of movement is the cause of numerous functional issues, it's very rational to think that reintroducing healthy, frequent, varied movement behavior is going to be the primary antidote for 
preventing or helping to fix such issues. So what they are doing and what this community is, is really realizing with our method is that if they combine therapy with educating their patients to healthy movement behavior, to a number of natural movement drills, natural movement movements, that combo is so potent that they achieve faster, greater results in terms of healing, in terms of recovery therapy. But on top of that, they have a chance to re-help people more, which is their heart, which is what every therapist really, really wants to do, is to really help their people. It's because they educate them to preventing those issues to come back or too fast uh, or too frequently because they've educated them to the very behaviors and movement reflexes that prevent them, them these issues. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it is a beautiful thing. How do you guys, like, I think it's really important for people to push their capacity, right? Not only from like an emotional challenge, but from a physical kind of tissue challenge. So how in the MoveNet method do you encourage people to push their capacity, but not to the point of like failure fatigue of tissue. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, that's because, okay, so we believe we are advocates of what we call real, real world physical capability. So to be capable is to be able to operate your body, to do the, perform the movements and the efforts that are necessary to day-to-day tasks or to more challenging situations. And that capability is made of two aspects, competency and capacity. Capacity is strength and conditioning. Capacity is your metabolic conditioning, is your strength. Your It's all the physiological adaptations that you need and that are only, they're not a finality. They serve competency. So you can't be actually capable if you only have either competency which are the movement skills that's the motor control part of your physical performance if you only have that but with little physiological adaptation that doesn't work you have technique but you don't have strength you don't have endurance you don't have those physical physiological adaptations if you only work on physiological adaptations so you do drills for strength and drills for you know cardio and this and that but you don't have the skills it's like if you have the hardware, but no softwares. You need ah, all the softwares okay. and you need a greater hardware. Hardware is capacity. Softwares are competency. And if you have all of that, then you have a very strong capability. You're truly capable. So, again, the key to that is progression, progressiveness. That's one of the 12 principles that I really explain in the, the Natural Movement Manifesto because nobody's strong by overnight. Nobody's skilled overnight. And it's always a process like so many other things in life. So even right now, as I, as I speak, I'm capable. I'm, I'm, I'm competent with my movement skills. I am have capacity with my strength and my endurance. I have all of that. But if starting today, I start to just, uh, I'm in Mexico right now, I'm going to start to drink margaritas a lot and eat a lot, a lot of carbs and uh, maybe start to party and mess up with my sleep and then completely forget about any movement practice and just 
lounge all day or just work hard on a new project and be on my computer all day and then after my work i'm so tired that i just want to lay down on the couch so what's going to happen it's going to happen to exactly the same that happens to everybody who's dealing unfortunately with that modern and healthy modern lifestyle predicament which is going to alter my functions my physiology and i will become unhealthy so you can reverse the process both ways towards becoming unhealthy and towards becoming healthy if you have been neglecting your body for many years you don't want to turn into uh, what i call in my book a, a self brutalizer <laughs> oh my god i've been so just dismissive of my health and of my body and now i need to fix this as fast as possible and you kind of you want to punish yourself for making that realization because uh, you somewhat feel guilty you don't, you don't feel good about your situation and you are eager to change it and to fix it but you you forget that the same way it took you years maybe decades for becoming unhealthy it will also take you probably a few years but at least faster than you think not decades but a few weeks a few months a few years to fully to become fully healthy again but you got to know that and you got to trust in that and you got to be patient and humble and you get to apply that principle that's a very realistic grounded humble straightforward principle of progressiveness take your time be patient and then it should never be too easy but it also should never be too hard hmm. don't be hard on yourself just do a little more every day if you can pay attention to body signals see how it feels build yourself back up into your stronger self it's not trial and error it's just a lot of attention to body signals and commitment to self empowerment there's a, I think there's a chapter in your book that talks about tension and relaxation, which I love that you touch upon that topic because I've read that like some of the world's best athletes and highest performers can build tension super quick and then they can relax equally yeah. as quick. And that is why they are some of the elite athletes. Can you talk about how those principles play into, into the, the natural movement? What you said is very, uh, very true. And um, greatest athletes both possess those levels of strength and, and skill, by the way. So basically, the way they use their strength is a skill. The way they use their strength is the ability to use the right amount at the right time in the right places for the right duration and even the right kind of tension. And to an all the rest is relaxation, basically, a return to relaxation. So there is a very fast alternation in their tissues, in their muscles of tension and relaxation, tension and relaxation that they have fully mastered, especially when it comes to, if we're talking about an athlete, we're probably talking about some kind of sport that requires some adaptability, say, on a field to moving targets or opponents or whatever they have to adapt to. So it's not even something that's always predictable, that you know exactly, okay, one minute I do this, two minutes I do that. It's no, like, I don't even know what's, what's, what's going to happen, but I will reflexively and through my practice be extremely adaptable. So 
Those are qualities that are not reserved to athletes. Those are qualities that everybody should possess, basically. Maybe not to the exact same level, but at least you should not, say, have weak tissues overall that are also stiff overall that have a hard time producing tension and force and then a hard time relaxing. This is just like a lack of mobility. Those are signs of tissues that have been impacted negatively by years of lack of movement and also specialized movement. The truth is that we modern humans are specialized movers. What we do, okay, you wake up in the morning and you go to your kitchen. Maybe you go to the shower, take a shower, you're standing. Then you go to the kitchen, you sit, you have a cup of coffee and a scrambled eggs, whatever, bowl of granola, whatever is your you like to eat. And then either you work from home, you're going to go to a seat and sit for many hours. Or you'll commute to an office or a workplace where you have to commute sitting in a car or a bus or a train. And then you'll sit on a desk because most people work on desks nowadays or standing, which is not better standing for hours or sitting for hours, walking a few steps. And then you go back home and you relax where on the couch and then you go to bed and you lay down. So <laughs> exactly how you're not a specialized athlete right there, specialized athlete of normalcy where if you really look at the variety of your movement behavior in your day-to-day life, there is none. You cannot say that standing, walking a few steps on, by the way, on always on the same terrain, flat, even, stable, predictable floors and grounds. Maybe walking a few steps up and down, oh, wow, big variety. And Or the yeah, monomovers. <laughs> Like you call it. Yeah, we are monomovers. Exactly. We're not natural movers. We're monomover. I'm not here giving hard time to people. I'm giving hard time to life ways. I'm giving hard time to what's called normal behaviors that are ridiculously shrinking our potential. And if you really look at that, what it is that you do with your body every day, it doesn't matter if you are going to go three times to the gym, three times a week. To do what? To sit on exercise machines, again, sitting, and to do some partial movements that are not even chosen by you. Basically, the machine shapes and dictates exactly the movement pattern that you do, and then you're counting in the head, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, okay, other side or other machine. All right, sorry. This is not a healthy alternative to... Um, <laughs> the predicament, which is that all day what you do is stand, walk a few steps, and sit. You want much more variety and variability and frequency than that. Otherwise, there's no way that functionally speaking, you'll be healthy and resilient and adaptable. And therefore, what is function? Because I say you're not functionally healthy. That simply means the health of your tissues, what they can do and their shape and their ability to, to be alive and to be to have pliability and plasticity and to just let you be free and fluid and flexible yet strong and adaptable and alert and resilient in your body. You don't live in your head, people. You live also in your body. And when we talk about freedom of movement, we're not just talking about, say, 
freestyle skating or doing acro yoga or flips and things like that. We're talking about just your ability to hold a deep squat. I'll ask our audience right now, after this show or as we, we speak with Emily, why don't you do this simple test? I'm asking you from a standing position to reach a sit position without placing a knee or a hand on the floor and then to get back up. See if you can do that. See if you can do it at all. And if you do, see if you can do it right away with one attempt or several ones. See if you're unstable or stable. See if you're slow or more dynamic. See if your body feels right or if maybe you've got some, some pain. See if you're relaxed or if you're actually stiff. See if you held your breath or actually breath, uh, kept breathing abdominally with you know, ample, control, relaxed breath. Look at all of those aspects and look at all potential symptoms of your movement behavior that that reveal a lack of true function. So what do you recommend for the city folk <laughs> who so much of their day is exactly what you described? It's It's linear, it's not super dynamic, it's sitting, like how much ideally of their day would be a movement practice really getting back to like what we were meant to do? So we have scientifically established that 42 minutes and 37 seconds, exact <laughs> time that you need to dedicate to your natural movement practice for it to be optimally efficient. It's a, it's a natural movement biohack. Okay, so more seriously, frequency is probably the most important. So instead of thinking, well, I'm going to sit eight hours today because I got to work, but then I will fully, I will dedicate a full hour at the end of the day or 40 minutes, whatever, uh, to my movement practice. That's awesome. And if that's the way that somewhat you can make it work and works for you, that's great. What does your movement practice look like? Um, or what, it, yeah, like what is it's, your... It's, it's frequency. It's opportunistic. So mm-hmm. for instance, this morning, I waited for the boat. Again, I'm commuting with a boat. How lucky. In a squat position. Then I stepped onto the boat and then I had to balance on the boat because it moves. Okay, that's just one example. And you're going to tell me, I'm in your city. I'm in Chicago. I'm wherever. <laughs> city, I don't step on a boat and I'll have to... Uh, and then if I wait for my bus in a squat position, people will look at me weird. Okay. So there is, for most people, there are environmental restrictions. That So we're talking about we live in, most of us live in artificial environments. And then there are cultural restrictions, which means that peer pressure, you know, what are people going to think if they see me kneeling or hanging and I'm a, I'm not a kid for Christ's sake. I'm, a, I'm an adult. And so if they see me swing or jump or do something weird, they may think I'm a weirdo. So this is real. Those are real restrictions, right? They're both environmental and cultural. So that's really why I, I wrote a whole textbook, but that's actually, again, it, it's very easy to read, but it's also highly practical that book is a how to practice natural movement i even have a whole chapter that's dedicated to where should i practice like in nature or in 
custom-made or controlled environments. So if that test that maybe you just did of that get up, standing to sit, sit to stand up, no knee, no hand on the ground. If that alone was challenging, you know that you need natural movement practice in your life. You know that functionally speaking, you already are dealing with restrictions. And if you don't address them as soon as you can, then they will only get worse. And that's what's called aging. It's uh, abnormal loss, too fast, too great of an extent loss of your functions. So you will need that practice. But if the ground movement is already challenging, then there's already so much that you can do just by practicing get-ups and kneeling and, and things like that. You can do that at home. You can do that at home, even while watching a show. You can brush your teeth in a kneeling position or a squat position. And why not in a on all four position? And, you know, at home, nobody will look at you. So you don't have to, you know, neighbors, <laughs> hopefully, don't have a way to look at you, <laughs> you know. So even in a city <laughs> where there are plenty of people around, you have some ways to practice. Even in artificial environments, you can place a two by four. It will cost you three or four dollars at, you know, a store. And you bring that into your living room. And then you can do split squat. We have a number of techniques we call them pivot reverse squat pivot reverse and uh, single leg balancing and there's so much you can do just in your living room if you have a backyard or if you want to go to the playground to some kind of park and find a place where if people around you bother you because you're a little bothered by why they think of you or what you actually believe they may think of you which is not even the same but you can learn to become a little less timid just more more confident in who you are and who you choose to be and in the value of your practice and to know that this is healthy for you you got to do it no matter what people think and uh, there are plenty of opportunities indoors outdoors for natural movement practice and i give tons of examples in my book you do like literally maybe half to two thirds of your book is like visual guides. And it's really this principle of progression is throughout the book. It's how to get off the floor all the way to how to climb a tree, pinching it with your feet. It's amazing. Right. Those movements are, uh, you're going to be like, Hey, there's no way I can do that. I can barely hang. Yeah, okay. Well, you know what? Can you hang already? Yeah. Well, maybe two seconds. Okay. That's great. That's where you're at. That's where you find yourself. This you know already. You know what you're capable of and you know what you're not capable of. That's your starting point in hanging and in climbing. How does it look like on the ground? How does it look like on the board for balancing? How does it look like lifting something? Have a better understanding, a better assessment, more realistic, more objective of what you're capable of because it's also an indication of your true levels of function. What you can do in a practical way or cannot do in a practical way is an indication of your functional levels, of your functional health, of your tissues, of your mobility, everything, nervous system, fascia, whatever. You know, I'm not an expert in, in that, but your audience is. And again, if a lack of natural movement, a lack of healthy, varied, frequent, variable, adaptable, practical movement is the reason why you have you are dealing with physical and functional ailments, then restoring that healthy natural movement behavior might be the most potent change you can introduce to your 
lifestyle to fix most of those issues. Maybe not all of them, but most of them. And we have seen, we have, this has been verified countless amount of time. It's been 10 years that I've been teaching this and we, that we've had uh, certified trainers and a whole community worldwide. And we have those testimonies all the time, including for, again, from a, a large number of therapists, health body, healthcare practitioners that are also educated in our method. I love that you say that natural movement has always been and always will be a timeless biological necessity. A necessity. I love that. Where can people find you? Like if they want to learn more, they want to do a training. Currently in Puerto Vallarta, but I (laughs) find me like in person. So the answer is actually movenet.com. It spells M V N A T. MOVNAT.com, MoveNAT goes for moving naturally or movement in nature. That was the original intention. It's the method that I've created and designed more than 10 years ago for the practice of natural movement. That's the number one place to, to visit. We also are on social media, mostly Instagram. I also have natural movement on Instagram. I'm actually also uh, working on a project coming soon on a new website called Shocker, naturalmovement.com. Great. Where I'm going to release online education, online videos, courses, which, by the way, MoveNet just released our first natural movement fundamentals course in collaboration with our friend Katie Bowman. And it's healing. It's everybody wants it. It's just so well designed and full of crazy good content. So, yeah, and then the book, because that's really. The book, um, people call it the Bible of natural movement because it's just so complete, even though the publisher had me cut no less than 200 pages. But it's going to be soon available as a free PDF on movenat.com. What? Uh, there is that book. Wow. Oh, yeah, no. It, that book is 480 pages of no fluff. Yeah. Full fully fully practical content that is again easy to read it's not like you have to become a nerd and complicated and lots of scientific references and this no it's very straightforward common language there is a whole part first part that's the manifesto but it's less than 20 percent of the whole material so that means that 80 percent of that book is basically practice and how to practice and how to build your own practice that was my reason for making that book is I want to provide people with a complete how-to natural movement, how to become a natural mover and reclaim strength, health, and freedom through that practice. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing your wealth of knowledge with our listeners. Thank you, I'm sure everyone is going to try and get down on the floor and try and get back up and see where they should start with their progressions. Right. <laughs> so thank you so much. Thank you, Emily. Uh, I really appreciated this interview and uh, I hope your audience enjoyed it too. They will. Thank you so much. That's a wrap. I have two truths that I fully believe in. First, to be 1% better every single day. And second, all feedback is good feedback because it helps us grow. 
Why do I say this? If you're enjoying these conversations and you find this is adding value, send us some love by subscribing to Muscle Medicine Podcast on iTunes. And if you want to share your voice with the world and scream it from the rooftops and tell your friends, or you can just give us a little feedback so we can grow by rating and reviewing Muscle Medicine on iTunes. Thank you guys so much gratitude. Dr. Emily Kybert here. Thank you.